I just heard her speak this morning at 7, 7.30. I went on the internet. I listened to that message. It was a great message. So I strongly encourage you, if you missed Lori's message last Sunday, go to the Vineyard website and listen to it. What I took from that message, her sort of bottom line, is that God has uniquely fashioned each one of us. She used the image of a hammer. I think she must have given a hammer to, to Jinsey or someone yesterday. And she talked about uh, being given a gift and then finding how to use that gift. And she talked about um, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and just Philip finding that gift and sort of finding a, uh, as a hammer a nail to hit or a nail to pull out. It was a beautiful image of the way that God speaks to and equips his people to do exactly what God's called them to do. So I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to that message. Her bottom line was God's still speaking, and we get to listen and obey. I'll give you my bottom line so that uh, if this is all you want this morning, you can end with this. My bottom line today is this. Do your part. God's given us gifts. He's equipped us. He's still speaking to us and kind of waiting in the wings of uh, you know, eternity coming is us doing our part us stepping forward. So I'm going to read a really long passage from the Bible this morning. We're finishing our series called AD. Um, so if you've been watching those Sunday nights, this Sunday night is tonight is the last one. Going to get us about to Acts chapter 11, really sort of ending that initial ministry of Peter. And I'm going to read today from Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's lots of verses. If you have a Bible, Get it? <laughs> You'll want to read along with me. It won't be on the screen. I want you to be in the story. If you have access to a Bible on your little device, open it up. Just don't check your email or Facebook, unless you're saying something good about the message. Um, this is uh, Acts chapter 10. This is the, God's word to us this morning. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Just a note here, doesn't say he was a believer, just that he feared God and he was devout. He did his best. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Little historical note here. 
the Jews at that time, reading the scriptures of the Old Testament, would have had very serious misgivings about uh, eating certain foods that were considered unclean. So this kind of vision from God for Peter is like a, hold on a second, what's going on here? And so Peter responds, Surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the, wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Now, what the heck do you want? I mean, why have you come? The men replied, we have come for Cornelius the the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. No pressure, right? As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. I've got to wonder if God uh, just let um, Cornelius kind of spin that story to sort of affirm Peter. Because remember, to this point, Peter has no idea what's happening. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. 
We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, interesting how many times that three or four things are happening all at the same time in this passage. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Let's take a few moments of silence, kind of under the word, and just listen as God speaks to you from his word. Father, you preserved this scripture, this story, and all the truth contained in it for us and for our salvation. Lord, these aren't just words of men, but these are your very words, and they for, they for us are food and life. So I ask, Lord, that you would give us grace to be able to take these words in, to understand them, to meditate on them, to ingest them, and to live them out so the world will know that Jesus is the Savior. Amen. So I I told you that my bottom line right off the bat here is, uh, I think God's word to us this morning is to do your part. Um, God has created the earth and God's equipped his people so that God and his people could cooperate. They could work together. So we're called to be a part of God's plan. I say it lots, there's God's part and there's our part. We can't do his part and he won't do our part. So one of the questions for us to deal with as people is, what's our part? What does obedience look like for us? So I want to say real simply at the outset that the word for us today is do your part. Don't try to do more than your part in the kingdom. By all means, don't do less. But if if we as the people at the vineyard could, could pursue God Say, God, I want to know my part and I want to fulfill it. I want to cooperate with you. The kingdom of God would expand. We're going to hear a story in a couple of weeks. David, I'm winking at you about uh, someone who came to Christ this last weekend, this last week, Friday, Friday. Um, because someone was willing to do their part. may seem like a small part, but to do their part. So I want to pull out three principles and maybe they're odd ones that you wouldn't have expected from Acts chapter 10, that big long story we just read. 
First one comes from Acts 10.15, where God is speaking to Peter. Peter says, I wouldn't arise and eat in this vision. And God says to Peter, don't call impure what God has made clean. Don't call impure what God has made clean. If I had to translate that, sort of modern day for us, I think it might be God saying, you don't get to tell God what God should do and how God should work. I I think, well, I know, because I'm a human, that humans tend to sometimes decide how God should and will act. So I think it's a message for us this morning. Don't presume to know how God wants to act and move in your life. You have one of those people in your mind, you're thinking, this one person in my life, there's no possible way they would ever be receptive to the gospel. Can you think of a person like that? You, you don't want to say it. Like, you don't want to say that because it sounds so faithless, but you can't even imagine in your head how this person could ever be responsive to the gospel. And I think the word to us this morning is, don't call unclean what God has made clean. Don't presume that you know how another person will or won't respond to the gospel. Don't even presume that you know exactly how God wants to work in and through your life. I think God would have us open our lives to hear from the Holy Spirit, God, how do you want to work? What miraculous things do you want to do in and through my life? Right here, 2015, central Indiana. We don't get to decide what God will use, who he'll reach, or how or when he'll do it. Basically, we don't get to tell God what to do. He gets to tell us. And then we get the joy of obedience. So, second thought, when you do know God's part for you, don't hesitate. When you do know what God has called you to do, whether it's a tiny, small command, or a big, huge vision for your life, whatever it is, don't hesitate. You see, Peter responding to this invitation from Cornelius' friends, and it just says, God says to Peter, don't hesitate because I've called you to speak to them. Remember, Peter has no idea what's happening. He's just kind of honestly bumbling along, you know? He was in a prayer time, he got hungry, he fell asleep, right? And all of a sudden, God encounters him in his very natural, ordinary moment. When our kids were small and we were trying to teach them about obedience, we used to tell them, delayed obedience is disobedience. Why are you laughing? (laughs) Mom. (laughs) Delayed obedience is disobedience. What we were trying to explain to our kids is that as they interact with their parents, authority figures, and God in the world, is when you know the right thing to do, and someone in authority, your parent or God, has told you to do it, delayed obedience is disobedience. In delayed obedience, what we're really doing is saying, hmm, I'm not sure I believe that. I'm not sure you know what you're talking about. Now, maybe that's easy to say to your parent, but many of us say it to God. God tells us what to do. We read it in Scripture. We hear it very clearly. He indicates the path of our lives. Maybe it's an issue of holiness or whatever the issue is. And we just wait on it. 
I think it's important for us to recognize that delayed obedience is disobedience. What if Simon Peter had not obeyed? What if he had waited? Okay, so we didn't read all through chapter 8 and chapter 9, but why the heck was Peter in Joppa anyway? So I'm going to take you through the story a little bit. Peter was in Joppa, which is like 30 miles from Jerusalem, okay? 30 miles, average person walks two, three miles, uh, two to three miles an hour. That's probably two days, two and a half days walk from Jerusalem to Joppa. So why is Peter in Joppa? Well, Peter is in Joppa because someone from Lydda, about 10 miles away, heard he had done something amazing. He had healed a guy. Well, why was Peter in Lydda? Because back in Acts 9, it says that the Lord spoke to Peter and said, go to Lydda and encourage the believers. So there's Peter in Jerusalem, just kind of walking along in this miracle of God's provision and power in the Holy Spirit. And God says, go encourage the believers in Lydda. He doesn't know what he's going to do. So he comes into the booming metropolis of Lydda after a day's walk or so. And there's a, a man who's been paralyzed for eight years. And Peter walks up to him. There's kind of no preamble in the Bible here. It just says, Peter sees the man. He's been paralyzed for eight years. And Peter says, get up and walk. So big question of the morning. Why did Peter heal the paralyzed man? Anybody? Like just blurt it out. Why did Peter heal the paralyzed man? Say it again. God asked him to. Did, did God ask him to in the moment? As far as the Bible tell, says, we don't see it. We don't see an angelic visitation. We do know that when Jesus was speaking to the disciples way back in the Gospels, Jesus said to the disciples, heal the sick. So why did Peter heal the guy in Lydda? Because God told him to go there. He was going about his way. And when he saw the paralyzed man... He remembered the command of Jesus and he healed him, period. Peter healed the man out of obedience because Jesus told him what to do. Because of Peter's obedience, this man's life is restored. Somehow, maybe Peter's Instagram or Twitter feed or something, the people in Joppa find out about this man who was healed in Lydda. It's another 20 miles away. And these people from Joppa say, hey, get that Peter healing dude here to Joppa because we've got a 12-year-old girl named Tabitha who's dead. And so they, the Bible doesn't say how it happens. Somehow the disciples there hear and they somehow get news to let and say, Peter, come over here. So Peter walks another day's journey after healing the paralyzed man to visit a dead girl. That's, I think that's all Peter knows, is there's a dead girl and we want you to come. So Peter comes, he comes into the room, Acts chapter 9, there's Tabitha, she's laid out, she's 12 years old, she's dead. And the Bible says that Peter tells everyone to leave the room. My personal opinion, Peter still has no idea what's going on. He's really clueless. He was in Jerusalem, then he's in Lydda, now he's in Joppa, and he's standing by a dead girl. I think Peter says, why don't you all leave? Because in the back of his mind, if he's anything like us, he's like, if I you know, do the whole get up and walk thing and it doesn't work, I've got to think about something else. So everyone leaves. The Bible says Peter kneels down and prays. 
And then he raises the girl from the dead and presents her to her parents and to the rest of the people. And the people are astounded. Why does Peter raise the girl from the dead? Because Jesus said back in Luke 11 somewhere, raise the dead. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Peter is simply walking in obedience. There wasn't any big visit, you know, angelic visitation. It's just Peter walking in obedience from Jerusalem to Lydda to the paralytic to Joppa to Tabitha and this girl's raised from the dead. So her life is changed. And what does it say in the scriptures about what happened at Joppa? It says many people believed in the Lord there. Well, duh. I mean, right? You see that kind of power through an ordinary man, Peter, we know he was an ordinary man, amazing. And so Peter decides that, you know, the ministry in Joppa is kind of good, you know. It's looking good for me out there. I made the papers and everything. I think I'll stay for a while. So he stays for a while in Joppa at the house of a man named Simon, who's a tanner. You know what a tanner is? Dead animals, right? Interesting. Peter, the very serious Jew who would never eat anything like that, wouldn't want to touch blood or anything like that, ends up staying at the, the house of Simon the Tanner. The whole place has to smell like dead animals. But Peter's just walking in obedience. So what does Peter do? The One morning he goes up, it's 12 o'clock, it's time to pray. Why does Peter go up to the roof and pray? Because that's what Jews did. 12 o'clock was prayer time. They did it all over the place. That's what Jesus did, that's what Jews did. He walks up, it's noon, it's time to pray. He starts to pray. He's feeling hungry. He goes into a trance. Maybe that's a kind way of saying he snoozed. I don't know. In any case, God comes to him finally. Here's the miraculous. And he shows him this picture of these animals, arise, kill, and eat. And Peter has this interaction with God. No, I would never eat anything unclean. What's God doing? God's preparing Peter to walk in obedience. He's not telling him to disobey. Peter's already got a track record of obedience, right? He's already walked through this life. He denied Jesus. He came back. Jesus restored him. Every step of the way, Peter's trying to discern the Lord's will and do it. And so God can come to Peter in a trance and give him this wild, hey, things are about to change. Peter's in Joppa, has the visitation, and Peter's ready as soon as the people come to go and to be with Cornelius. The result of Peter's obedience in the moment, step by step, is that the gospel of the kingdom and the power of the kingdom goes to the disciples at Lydda, goes to the disciples at Joppa, heals a man, he, uh, raises a young girl from the dead. Hundreds, we don't know, thousands come to the Lord, all because Peter is taking the next obvious step of obedience. Peter is a hammer in the hand of God walking around looking for a nail. It's, it's, you know, other than this vision thing, it's really not all that miraculous except in the way that God miraculously moves and guides each one of his children, including us here today. The result of Peter's obedience in the moment, step by step, is your salvation. Had Peter not obeyed way back from Jerusalem to Lydda to Joppa 
to the prayer time on the roof, to hearing God's voice and then going with God's people when he still didn't know what was going on, the Gentiles wouldn't have heard the gospel. Guess what we are? For the most part, we are Gentiles. If we've got Jewish blood, I have a little Jewish blood, we heard the gospel probably from a Gentile. Because of Peter's obedience in the moment, we have eternal salvation. So an amazing woman died this last week. Her name was Elizabeth Elliot. She was a long-term missionary, writer, speaker. Jane and I heard her speak about a thousand years ago at a conference. A powerful speaker. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot was married to Jim Elliot, who was one of the four missionaries in the early 50s, called by God to South America to um, preach the gospel to a tribe of Indians called the, uh, the Alka Indians. And um, they'd only been, Elizabeth and Jim had been married maybe a year or two, had a nine-month-old child. They'd only, these four missionary men had only encountered the Alcas a few times, hadn't even gotten the chance to speak the name of Jesus, and they were murdered by them. Within the next two years, Elizabeth Elliot, with her now two-year-old child, widowed from this man killed by these Indians, goes back to the Indian tribe, meets the people who would have killed her husband, shares the gospel with them, and leads them to Jesus. And the gospel went forward in that tribe and in that place in South America because what? She obeyed. She obeyed. Quote from Elizabeth Elliot. She died at the age of 88 this last week. Does it make sense to pray for guidance about the future if we're not obeying in the thing that lies before us today. I'll just read that again. Does it make sense to pray for guidance about the future if we're not obeying in the thing that lies before us today? How many momentous events in Scripture depended on one person's seemingly small act of obedience? Rest assured, do what God tells you to do now and depend upon it. You will be shown what to do next. One act of obedience after one act of obedience. Never presume that you understand the impact of your obedience. That's just a word for all of us today. Don't ever assume that you know the ultimate impact of your obedience. Don't measure whether or not you'll obey by what you think will happen if you do or don't. Let's just face it. We can't see in God's timing. Elizabeth Elliot had no idea the impact of her obedience. Jim Elliot, no idea the act of his obedience. Eric Little, you know, missionary to China, no idea the impact of one act of obedience. Peter, I read from Luke 24, Mary and Mary Magdalene and Joanna, no idea the impact of their one step of obedience. When God tells you what to do, do it without hesitation. The Bible says in Acts 10, God said, I want you to go, Peter. You don't have any idea what what this is all about, but I want you to go. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. And the last thing I saw in the passage this week anyway was God's presence goes before us. God's presence makes the way for our obedience. God's presence is actually waiting for our obedience. Acts 10.33 B, a little verse that you might miss 
But this is what it says. This is Cornelius. He says, so I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. I don't know why he says that. That's kind, isn't it? Like, hey, I don't know God, and I don't know what's going on, but I saw an angel. He said, go get this guy. It's you. And gee, thanks for coming. (laughs) And he says this, Acts 10.33. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Cornelius, the unbeliever, says, we're all here in the presence of God to wait to listen to everything that you have to tell us. He wasn't a believer. How could Cornelius have access to the presence of God? How could Cornelius even know what the presence of God was like? Apparently, God is everywhere. God's omnipresent. God had prepared Cornelius and all the people that he gathered in the house for, for, the, for a response to Peter's obedience before, before Peter even heard the command. Do you realize that? God was counting on Peter's obedience. Isn't that an awesome thing to think? Now, some of us naturally will say, oh my gosh, God's depending on me. I hope I don't blow it because we'll make it all about us, right? right. Forget it. It's, that's not the point. The point is this. God has faith in you. God's actually made your obedience a part of his plan. It's not like, come on, I'm waiting for you. It's more like, this is going to be awesome. See, I've already planned how to bless your obedience. It's prepared. There are people standing in the presence of God right now waiting for your obedience. If you remember a few years back, if you were here, a big Scottish friend of ours named Douglas McIntyre used to come and speak occasionally. He gave a message one time. It's the one I remember. I won't attempt the Scottish accent or anything. But he stood on this stage and he said, people are waiting on the other side of your obedience. And it kind of hit me like a lightning bolt. And even sometimes in moments of fear or indecision or temptation, I will hear Douglas's words ringing in my heart. People are waiting on the other side of your obedience. It's true. People are waiting on the other side of your obedience. God has already prepared by his presence to be there to bless your act of obedience. You don't know what it's going to look like. It may seem awkward to you. Peter was in an incredibly awkward social situation, right? But it was God's calling. And Peter didn't know what was happening. But he sensed every step as it was God. He took one little step of of obedience. The result, all the nations of of the earth hear the gospel. Do you realize that when the gospel went from the Jews to the Gentiles, it was the beginning of the culmination of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? No, I can see by the looks on your faces you don't realize that. Genesis 12, God promises to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He speaks to Abraham when Abraham doesn't even have a child. That's the promise, that that gospel, that good news would go to every nation. When Peter takes his act of obedience, as wild as it seems, and goes into an awkward social situation and says yes to God, All of a sudden, the gospel goes to all the nations, the Gentiles, 
every tribe, every tongue, every people because of one act of obedience. Don't limit in your mind what God could do through your act of obedience. Do your part. Maybe your part is small. Do your part. It's a big deal. Maybe your part is big. Do your part. It's a big deal. God tells you to give. Give. God tells you to serve. Serve. God tells you to act. Act. He tells you to pray. Pray. He tells you to say yes. Say yes. God's already planned to bless your obedience. There are people waiting on the other side of it. Our choice is to say yes to God. Let's pray. Jacqueline, you want to go?